0: Good morning, everyone. My name is John Sherrill, and I'm a pastor here at Fifth Reformed Church. And let me add my welcome to those of others. I'm glad you found us today online, and we welcome you to this worship service. Uh, Last week, we picked up uh, a sermon series in the Book of Romans called Unashamed of the Gospel. I think it was last fall when we did chapters 1 through 4 in Romans, and this fall we're going through chapters 5 through 8, and this week we're in the second message of this series for the fall. So before we dive in, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Lord, we bless you. We bless you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Uh, Most of all, we thank you for your grace and that indeed where uh, sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. God, for that, we bless you. We thank you. Pour out your spirit on us again now and help us receive everything you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any, uh, any Disney fans out there, Aladdin fans, do you remember the, the theme song You know, with two young kids? It's one of those Disney themes that just gets stuck in my head and I can't get it out. Uh, a Whole New World, remember that? A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view, that thing, a whole new world. Uh, in this passage, the Apostle Paul describes the new world that has come to us In Jesus and and it's much more than a new fantastic point of view it is in fact a new reality a new world that's open to everyone and it's a world that's much much better than the world before because in this new world we can actually know God we can know God's heart his good purpose for the world we can know that it's God's will for all people to be reconciled to him to come back into a relationship with him and to receive the fullness of life that he wants to give to everyone. So on this side of the cross, it's a whole new world, a whole new world. And to explain that, uh, the Apostle Paul uses Adam and Jesus and what each of them did to compare and contrast the old world and the new world. Now, a disclaimer about this passage, one person uh, wrote of it, All students of these verses have found them extremely condensed. (laughs) That that made me laugh. Some have mistaken compression for confusion, but most have marveled at the almost mathematical precision of Paul's writing. And precise it is. This is Paul, uh, the expert in the law, the, the attorney, if you will, making his case with precise and powerful statements. And the passage starts with one of Paul's favorite words, therefore, meaning that what's coming is based on that which came before. Uh, That which he's about to say isn't just a tangent in the story he's telling. It's a logical next step, maybe even a conclusion based on what he just wrote. And for that purpose, it's important to rewind a little bit and look at what he just wrote right before this. This is that verse. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God is that gracious. God is that self-giving to people who wanted nothing to do with him. While we were still God's enemies, he sent Jesus and we were reconciled to God. God didn't want to do life without us, so in Christ he paid our debt for us failing to fulfill our responsibilities to him so that our relationship might be reconciled. I mean, this, is, this is God's good purpose for us and for the whole world. Therefore, right, meaning Paul is about to elaborate on these good purposes of God for the world. But he starts uh, this kind of long elaboration by unpacking the effects of the fall and he mentions three of them, kind of, kind of the big three things that came into the world because of the fall. And, and they're, they're kind of downward steps in, in humanity. First, sin entered the world through one man. This is all in verse 12 of the passage we read. Uh, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, of course. And death entered the world through sin. And death came to all people because all sinned you know the decision and action of one person Adam brought sin into the world and Romans 6:23 tells us that the wages of sin is death so because sin came into the world death followed as its natural consequence but it wasn't just Adam who died death became universal I mean that's the flow sin entered the world death came into the world because of because of sin and death became universal because all sinned. Now there's a, there's a kind of big-ticket theological issue at play here, and it, it has to do with this statement: because all sinned. I mean, one could ask, how did we all sin? Uh, is it that all of us kind of inherit Adam's nature and we follow his his example and we we do what he did and we we disobey God purposefully and intentionally? Certainly we, we do do that, but is that the full extent of this? Is, is it that we just imitate Adam's sin and, and we sin on our own? Or is it that Adam is a kind of representative head of humanity and that, that we sin in and through Adam, that somehow we participated in Adam's sin? And you might be surprised to learn that the vast majority of Christians over time believe wholeheartedly that you and I standing right here today, participated in Adam's sin. It certainly seems clear from the way the Scripture unpacks this. Now, uh, th- this just grinds against our Western individualism. You know, we, we think, wait, what? I wasn't even alive when Adam sinned. Uh, I, he took a bite of that apple. I had nothing to do with it. How can I possibly be held responsible for his actions, let alone be accused of having participated in it with him? I mean, that's just ridiculous. And that's, that's Western individualism speaking, but, but is it ridiculous? Biblically, is it ridiculous? And the answer is not at all. We actually have boatloads of examples from Scripture. I'll, I'll cite just one. Remember Achan in the Old Testament. When Achan sinned as an individual... All of Israel was held responsible. Uh, There's there's an understanding of solidarity within the community that runs throughout the scripture. And and Paul makes the point clear in verse 14 of our text today. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did. So sin caused death, says Paul, and, and death came to everyone, not just to those who broke a command like Adam did, but, quote, even to those who did not sin by breaking a command. Now I've really got you wondering, what? How did death come to even those people who did not sin by breaking one of God's commands? I mean, it certainly seems that we, we all sin not only by imitating Adam, and again, we all do that, but we, we sinned by participating in what Adam did. All humanity is both united and complicit in the sin of Adam. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way in his commentary on Romans, God has always dealt with mankind through a head and representative. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam and what has happened and will yet happen because of Christ. I mean, all of us, and by all of us, I mean every human being is either in Adam or in Christ. We are are either living in the old world, the way of Adam, or living in the new world, the way of Christ. And the old world is characterized by sin and guilt, the new world by grace and faith. And, And the way we gain access to the new world is stunning. And it's it's kind of Paul's point in, in writing this whole passage. The effects of grace. You know, but the gift is not like the trespass. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So Paul kind of turns a corner here. Now he's contrasting what Adam did and, and what Jesus did. And, and yes, they're similar in that uh, the, the, the actions of one person impacted many other people, but that's where the similarity ends. Uh, you see, God's judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but God's gift of grace followed many, many sins and brought justification. And, and remember the justification uh, 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 meaning, the meaning of that, it has legal implications. To be justified is to have your uh, legal status changed by declaration. So it's your, your legally declared status. And if, of course, in Christ, we understand God to declare people to be righteous or to be in right relationship with, with him. Now think about this, really, for a second. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that that judgment would follow the one sin, the, the disobedience, and, and condemnation would come because of that. That feels deserved. and And you would rightly think that more sin would get more judgment. Seems like pretty simple math, right? Uh, But gladly, the the math of the gospel is a different kind of math. The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. The the gift, God's gift of grace, followed all sorts of sin and, and brought reconciliation. I mean, after an entire world history Of crash-and-burn wrongdoing everywhere in you in me in everybody everywhere that that made things to happen that should never have happened and that really can be described as nothing but pure evil right after all of that in fact right in the middle of all of that God came to earth in the person of Jesus with a gift in his hand The offer to accept our penalty to give us his righteousness so as to enact a complete reconciliation in our relationship with him and welcome us into a new life in a new world right now and forever. Indeed, the gift is not like the trespass. The gift is nothing like the trespass. The gift far uh, outweighs the trespass. I mean, God's grace is huge and, and incredible, and it opens this new world to us. And by the way, that gift, that new world, is open to you right now. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church, but I have learned that it's possible for some to go to church for their entire lives and miss the gospel, like miss miss. The the point of this entire thing, you know, the goal of our faith is not to be a churchgoer. The goal of our faith is to be a Christ follower, a person who knows and follows Jesus. And remember the lukewarm uh, thing from Roman or from uh, Revelation chapter three, when Jesus said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." He was talking to Christians who had who had kind of gone soft on him, and and the vision of him is standing outside the, door of the, house, the home of our lives, knocking on the door saying, hey, can I, can I come back in? I'd kind of like to come back in. I've also met people throughout the years and had conversations with people who were either questioning the faith or, or really had rejected the faith. And I, I think I've, I've perceived often that people reject a, a Christianity based on what they understand it to be not what it actually is. I mean, some end up rejecting a false or incomplete version of the faith and, and refuse to do any more digging to see if what they've rejected was the real deal or a forgery. So if you happen to be in that place, don't, don't do that. There is real life in Jesus. You know, it's a better way to live. Following Jesus does not mean that you're signing up to live life as a reactionary religious conservative. It just does not mean that. This is about coming to know God and actually following God. So, if you've rejected something you know very little about, I invite you to reconsider that and do some some digging. Make your way to the authentic article, right? Right? And look at it closely. That that knowing God part really is huge. I mean, this is just a key part of our faith. We we as Christians believe that human beings can know God. Not just know about God, but actually know God as a person. Uh, And that and that's really what got Paul's heart pumping in this whole passage. And he concludes with this, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. I mean, it's, it's incredible what God has done for us. And that's, that's the thing. Jesus really did it. And it's available to all who turn to him right now or, 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 or whenever in this life. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I haven't today tried to unpack the the place of God's law in all of this and and how Paul kind of talked about that. But this first line in, in these last couple verses the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. I mean, all of, all of Paul's Jewish friends just stopped listening right there and, and couldn't believe what they just heard. And they're thinking, Paul, did you just say that, that the law of God was brought in so that sin might increase? What? Um, but there's a whole thing here that we don't have time for today, but this would have been, jaw-dropping to a Jewish hearer or or reader of of Paul's message. And and then this next line, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Where sin played a strong card, grace played the strongest card. In the original language, the word translated increased all the more in English it's just one Greek word, and it's a superlative word, uh, meaning grace is on top, and there's nothing better, nothing that can defeat it. And, and we'll close today with those next words, so that. You know, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, for the purpose that, I mean, this is the point? This is God's purpose in doing everything He did for us, in in Christ, um, for the purpose that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent Jesus so that grace might reign. You know, death got kicked off the throne. Death no longer reigns. It's a new day in a new world. And in the new world, God's grace reigns. Now, now technically, God's grace doesn't reign. God reigns. Jesus is the king. But his is a kingdom of grace, super abounding grace, grace that trumps everything else out there. Man, that Disney song really is true. It's a whole new world indeed, but not for the reasons the song mentions. Right it's a whole new world on this side of the cross because we can know God and we can see that God acted decisively on our behalf for the purpose of kicking death off the throne placing grace there to reign and providing reconciliation for anyone who turns to Christ. I mean this is amazing. It is a whole new world. You know my my life in this new world began with a very simple prayer when I was in college. I was a senior in college, and and the prayer went like this. God, for the first time in my life, I think you're real, and I need help. And I wasn't just saying the words. Really, for the first time in my life, I came to think that God was real, and I really felt like he needed help. God answered that prayer. And if you're in that place today, I encourage you, pray something simple like that. God honors just the simple expressions of our hearts. God, I think you're real, and I need help. If you haven't already prayed that, do so. God will answer. It's a whole new world, and grace reigns. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that while we were at our, our most offensive to you, just at that very moment, you gave everything of yourself for us. Uh, God, change our hearts, change our minds, change our wills, make us to be more like Jesus. Help us receive your grace and help us share your grace with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.